As for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God. In the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Deliver me from sinking in the mire. Let me be delivered from my enemies and from the deep waters. Let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord, for your steadfast love is good. According to your abundant mercy, turn to me. Those are verses 13 through 16 of Psalm 69, which is the psalm appointed for today, Friday, June the 10th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are continuing a look in uh, the book of Ecclesiasticus, which, as I've said, is an apocryphal book, and so it's it's included in some denominations like the Lutherans, the Episcopalians slash Anglicans, and Roman Catholics, uh, certainly, and also in the Orthodox Church, uh, also within Judaism. They're books that are considered worthy of reading because somewhere along the way you can see that they influence some of the... Um, the other writers of the canonical books. So today we have an incredibly long reading from Ecclesiasticus. I'm probably going to do that without a lot of comment. Um, we're also continuing in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 21 to 28, and in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, chapter 5, verse 25, through chapter 6, verse 10. So let's get started on this Ecclesiasticus thing. <clears throat> Don't argue about a matter which doesn't concern you, nor sit with sinners when they judge a case. In other words, stay off Twitter. <clears throat> My son, do not busy yourself with many matters. If you multiply activities, you will not go unpunished. I had a, um, an administrative assistant at an uh, accounting firm that I worked in one time. I asked about the new version of Windows that was out, and she said, it's just like a man. I said, how so? She said, it thinks it can multitask, but it can't. So don't busy yourself with many matters. Stay focused on the main thing. And if you pursue, you will not overtake, and by fleeing, you will not escape. There's a man who works and toils and presses on, but is so much the more in want. There's another who's slow and needs help, who lacks strength and abounds in poverty, but the eyes of the Lord look upon him for his good. He lifts him out of his low estate and raises up his head so that many are amazed at him. That's an important thing. You know, we need to let him be the lifter of our heads. We need him to be the one that calls us up and the one who blesses us, the one in whom we can glory. Good things and bad, life and death, poverty and wealth, come from the Lord. The gift of the Lord ensures, endures for those who are godly, and he, what he approves will have lasting success. There's a man who's rich through his diligence and self-denial, and this is the reward allotted to him. When he says, I have found rest, and now I shall enjoy my goods, he doesn't know how much time will pass until he leaves them to others and dies. It's, it, that's the message of Ecclesiastes. Right? So that, that you don't know by, by accumulating all this and working so hard to accumulate things, you don't know what kind of person comes after you and who will inherit these things. It may be a fool. It's also the, the one who builds bigger barns because he has bigger crops and then can't enjoy them because, well, tomorrow his life's demanded of him. Stand by. So, so keep the main thing the main thing. That's the point of that. It's not don't work hard, but it's don't put your store by things of earth. Stand by your covenant and attend to it and grow old in your work. Do not wonder at the works of a sinner, but trust in the Lord and keep it your toil. For it's easy in the sight of the Lord to enrich a poor man quickly and suddenly. And and that's the thing. It's just to keep it your knitting. You know, that, that's all it's saying is, is, is that don't worry. This is part of yesterday's thing, right? Don't look at other people and measure yourself against them because today doesn't determine tomorrow in that sense because all this stuff comes from the Lord. 
The blessing of the Lord is is the reward of the godly. And quickly, God causes his blessing to flourish. Don't say, what do I need and what prosperity could be mine in the future? Don't say, I have enough and what calamity could happen to me in the future. In the day of prosperity, adversity is forgotten. And in the day of adversity, prosperity is not remembered. If the last two years have taught us anything, it's that right? That, that things can change in an instant, and you can be standing there for two years looking and thinking, what in the world happened? How did we come to the place we are right now in the world today? How did my life get turned upside down for the last two years, and, and I don't see the way forward in it? And so we've, we've got to be able to, to hold things lightly and, and not to count on things in the future because we don't know. For it's easy in the sight of the Lord to reward a man on the day of death according to his conduct. The misery of an hour makes one forget luxury, and at the close of a man's life his deeds will be revealed. Call no one happy before his death. A man will be known through his children. Don't bring every man into your home, for many are the wiles of the crafty. Like a decoy partridge in a cage, so is the mind of a proud man, and like a spy he observes your weakness. For he lies in wait, turning good into evil, and to worthy actions he will attach blame. From a spark of fire come many burning coals, and a sinner lies in wait to shed blood. Beware of a scoundrel, for he devises evil, lest he give you a lasting blemish. Receive a stranger into your home, and he'll upset you with commotion and estrange you from your family. Be careful. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Be careful who you bring into your life and who you allow into your life. If you do a kindness, know to whom you do it, and you'll be thanked for your good deeds. Do good to a godly man, and you'll be repaid, if not by him, certainly by the Most High. No good will come to the man who persists in evil or to him who does not give alms. It's a really important part of Judaism to give alms. It's important to do that, but it's not just important for you. It's important for the one who receives it, but not for the same reason you might think. Not just simply because he receives, he or she receives something. No, it's important because they've done you a favor by taking it, because they've allowed you to fulfill a mitzvah. Give to the godly man, but do not help the sinner. Do good to the humble, but do not give to the ungodly. Hold back his bread and don't give it to him, lest by means of it he subdue you, for you will receive twice as much evil. Some of these things I read, I think I have no earthly idea (laughs) for, for all the good you did to him. For the Most High also hates sinners and will inflict punishment on the ungodly. Give to the good man, but don't help the sinner. Well, there's not really anybody (laughs) who qualifies as a good man. A friend will not be known in prosperity, nor will an enemy be hidden in adversity. A man's enemies are grieved when he prospers, and in his adversity even his friend will separate from him. Never trust your enemy, for like the rusting of copper, so is his wickedness. Even if he humbles himself and goes about cringing, watch yourself and be on guard against him, and you'll be like to him, to him, like one who has polished a mirror, and you'll know that it's not hopelessly tarnished. Do not put him next to you, lest he overthrow you and take your place. Don't have him sit at your right, lest he try to take your seat of honor. And at last you will realize the truth of my words and be stung by what I've said. Who will pity a snake charmer bitten by a serpent, or any who go near wild beasts? So no one will pity a man who associates with a sinner and becomes involved in his sins. And, and there's a huge truth in that. You know, I, I'm not going to tell the whole story, but but I took a job to become a—I uh, had multiple offers to become a lit- litigation expert, right? So uh, coming out of the FDIC, I had um, established myself as somebody that, that knew some things. 
and was good at de- debate, so the give and take of, of uh, questioning by lawyers. So I had multiple firms come to me and wanted to talk to me about the possibility of me coming to work for their firms. So I, I talked to all these people. I went and talked to people in Atlanta and Chicago and New York and uh, other places within the FDIC to see where I wanted to be. And I, and I said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I, I, Connecticut was another place. I, I just decided I didn't want to do any of those things. We were getting ready to have a child, and so we, it, they wanted me to move. And I didn't really want to move from Knoxville because, well, we had family there. So people could help Suzanne, and I was going to travel a lot anyway. So then finally, I, there was a guy that, that I didn't trust, and I had no reason to trust him. I had worked with him before. He had been an expert that we had hired, and I didn't trust the guy. I didn't like the guy very much. And uh, he came to me and offered me a job. It turned out we were, we were working on a project together, me for the FDIC and him as an expert. And then uh, he offered me a job. Well, I shouldn't have taken it for two reasons. One is I knew I couldn't trust him. Because I couldn't trust him when I was his employee when I, when he was working for us, and the second was the terms on which I was offered the job. Uh, both of those things should have said been fifty thousand different red flags that say do not go to work for this man, and then I did, and it went well for about two years, and then well he decided to defraud the federal government, um, and so I, I don't feel sorry for myself at all, because I made a stupid decision, because he was going to allow me not to have to move. That was the entire motivation for taking that job, and, and, and it was wrong. And so it cost me dearly to have gone to work for that guy because I knew who he was. And it's, so it's be careful who you go into business with <clears throat> and do all things with, actually. So in the gospel today, remember Jesus yesterday had, had asked the disciples who they said he was, and Peter made his confession that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus then said, and you're Peter, on whom I'll build my rock, on the rock on whom I'll build my church. So now, right after that, <laughs> from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter, the rock, the one who believed that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Really? You're going to rebuke the one you think is a Messiah? <laughs> it's hard for Peter to keep this red sometimes. He says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. I know the word. You know, basically that's what he's saying is, no, 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 that's not what happens to the Christ. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. He's offering him kingdoms without a cross. Same thing that that Satan offered him there in the wilderness. For you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. I mean, it seemed right because he was basing it on the way he read Scripture, but he was wrong, completely wrong. And and that's the thing we have to have the humility to, to understand. But Jesus here has to correct him, and he has to correct him in harsh terms. Because he, he needs to make sure this doesn't happen again and that nobody else here gets that same idea. So the rock is now Satan. Can't have it both ways, can you? Then uh, <laughs> Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I've said this a million times. It's easy for us to hear that because we live on the other side of Easter. In other words, we know the cross wasn't the final answer. They didn't. Not then. So when Jesus says you've got to take up your cross and follow him, that is the weirdest, weirdest metaphor that he could possibly have used. They had no basis for which, on which to understand that statement. Take up my cross? Do you know who gets put on crosses? I mean, you talk about the worst criminals in the entire world are put, are put on crosses. And you want me to take up my cross and follow you? I have no earthly idea what you mean by that. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And it's exactly the same thing Paul's been telling the, the Galatians in the, uh, in the epistles that we've been reading. And it has to do with simply just denying the flesh, live by the Spirit. But you, you've got to count eternal life more important than this life. And so it's the same thing that comes out of that Ecclesiastes reading, is don't set your sights on or your hopes in the stuff of earth. Mm-mm, nope, nope. I, he did the same thing, and he's going to show us the way to do this. He's not asking us to do something he didn't do, but he's given us the assurance that if we do, we'll have eternal life. Not just because he said so, but because he's resurrected from the dead. <clears throat> For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Again, it's the argument of Ecclesiastes, and it's also the argument of Ecclesiasticus. Don't put your, don't put your faith and your hope and everything else in stuff of earth, because it, it could go away tomorrow. And, and like I told you with my own story, it did. <clears throat> for the Son of Man is not—what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he'll repay each person according to what he's done. Now, what you do reveals your faith. So it's it's not a matter of works. That's not what, what Jesus is saying here. No, why you do what you do, right? So if I put my faith in him and I, and I decide that, that this life is not that important in the grand scheme of things, although my life is, the stuff of this life in the grand scheme of things are not that important because it, you can't take it with you. So Jesus says, I can measure your face, faith based on what you do and how you live. It's a pretty straightforward thing. It's really not hard. It's not works-based, but your life will tell me your faith. It'll tell me what you believe. It'll tell me what's most important to you. <clears throat> Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And I've talked about that before, that they, they, they did see certain kinds of things. They saw the kingdom. They saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. And then in the time between that and the destruction of the temple, there were signs in the heavens that they saw. In the epistle today, Paul says, look, if you live by the Spirit, let's also keep step with the Spirit, which, is, which humbles us, because we recognize it's not I, but Christ who lives in me and through me. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. And that's all from the Ecclesiasticus passage as well. And envy is not a good thing. And conceit is not a good thing. And it does provoke. <laughs> it's We've got to be those people who understand how to walk humbly before our God and humbly before other people as well. Because we can't say anything is truly of us. I can't think much of myself. I can make much of Christ, but I can't make much of John because I know who I am and what I am. So anything good that I do is Christ. Anything bad that I do, well, that's just me. That's just who I am without him. So it, it, we've got to understand what it means to keep step with the Spirit is that humility in recognizing that anything good is him. He says, brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And what he means by that is not just to say, oh, that doesn't matter. That's not a big deal. No, no, no. That's not what it means at all. What it means is, is, is that, that we don't stand in judgment over that person because it could just as easily have been us in not, maybe not that situation, but some other situation. And so we have to, to restore the person requires repentance. It requires the acknowledgement of the sin. And then it requires on our part, the humility to understand that there, but for the grace of God, go I, because this has to do with being caught in a transgression. So 
you know, it, it's we had a president a few years ago that that uh, parsed his words very carefully when he was caught in a transgression, and it, and it was in his mind it wasn't a lie, but it was. It was under any uh, reasonable interpretation of language, he lied. But he used the words that he did in order to believe that he had avoided um, openly admitting that he had confessed a transgression. And so if we hear somebody fudging what they've done and not being willing to fully accept the, the responsibility for what they've done, then, then we don't restore you. We restore you when you've made a full confession, when you've accepted that what you did was wrong and hideously so. Um, and so it, it, it's important for us to be able to do that. And it, it, to restore that person with gentleness then means to reassure them of God's love for them and that they've been restored to the fellowship of the church. doesn't mean there won't be consequences if a leader, for instance, does something that that is caught in a transgression in that way. You can restore them to fellowship of the church, but you don't necessarily restore them to leadership positions in, in the short term. Doesn't mean they're permanently cast out of that, but it does mean you got to be careful. And, and it's we get that wrong in the in the Anglican world. Actually, Lent was a time when when sinners whose sins were known, this was, um, these public sins they they were it's notorious was the word that that's used in the in the prayer book. They were restored to the fellowship of the church after a season time of repentance. So a time when they were not allowed to to participate in the sacraments, for instance. Um, that that those were withheld as a form of church discipline, and and at this time, then they would be restored to the life of the church, the fullness of the fellowship. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, he's going to draw a distinction here in this with those having to bear their own load. A burden is, a load is it was an established amount that, that a person could carry. Right. And so so when it says bear one another's burdens, that's the excess. So if, if they've got more than their share of load, whether that's physical or spiritual or emotional, then, then we're to come around that person and help them bear those burdens. Now, the problem is that some people are unwilling to bear their own load and they, they see that anything is a burden and they want to offload it on you or offload that on the church. No, but we got to teach people to grow up. That's the main thing. We got to teach people to grow up and, and understand what you're talking about. You're whining. You're, you're not actually seeing things as they are. There are a ton of people that are sitting in this congregation right now who carry a lot more than you do, and they're not trying to offload all the time. You do. Constantly. I mean, I, I've seen it a million times in ministry is, is people who will every little thing becomes your burden, and you're a bad person if you're not willing to, you know, help them carry that burden. Uh, no, that's not a burden. I carry a lot more than that on a daily basis, right? And so we sometimes we've got to help people see you're just whining, and you're not growing up. You're not being mature, either in your faith or in your life, and, and that needs to stop. And so that it's important, though, that we bear one another's burdens. And, and it's easy for us to see when it's somebody else has a burden. But the people who always want to offload their burdens are those people who never participate in helping. It's it. Uh, I could go on and on, right? So, <laughs> for if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. <clears throat> for each will have to bear his own load. 
Let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. So Paul's saying, he says this in other places, you know, don't muzzle an ox. You know, if somebody's giving you and teaching you, then then you should give to them and help them because they've devoted themselves to the teaching of the word, the preaching of the word, the prayers, all those kinds of things. So you should then give for their support. Paul never asked for it. He hated asking anybody to do anything, so he would tip make all the time. And, and with in Galatia, though, he apparently wasn't able to do that. <clears throat> and he considers himself a burden to them when he was there. And he says that. He says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. And in, in the short term, it may look like you're getting away with it, but uh, no, you're not. God sees it all. He, he's not ignorant. He sees what you're doing. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And that's exactly what Jesus said about saving your life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's the same. It's the exact same principle. He said, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And that's an important thing. This perseverance, you know, I just saw a, a video recently that that's called the bamboo tree of china and and the story goes i haven't looked it up i don't know this for a fact i'm just telling you what what the guy taught was is that for five years you plant the the thing and then you you have to water it and fertilize it and do all this stuff for five years before it ever breaks through to the through the ground and then within five weeks after it breaks through the ground it grows up to about 90 feet he says but but none of that happens if you don't tend it for five years when you don't see anything at all so it, to continue to, it, to do good and not give up, if we do, then we'll reap. And that was the point of the guy's sermon. Uh, so then we have an opportunity. Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So in other words, charity begins at home. And home means the people of God. It means the particular people of God that you're with. And so, so we begin showing that good to those that are closest to us to those who are closest to us in the faith. And then from there, the overflow, to the extent we have overflow, then we go out. But Paul says, start right here. And it's the same things Jesus would teach again and again, is how we interact with one another actually really matters. Who is my brother? Who is my neighbor? Well, I've got to do cert- I have certain obligations to my brother and other obligations to my neighbor. Under the law, that's true. Under the law, those things are true. But, but I've got to fulfill the obligations to my brother first before I can begin to fulfill those obligations to the neighbor. And it's the same argument John makes in First John when, when he says this, that you can't love your neighbor who you can see unless you can love God. You, you can't say you love God if you don't love the neighbor you can see. You can't love God who you can't see. And so we begin close to us, and then we spread out from that place. It's important that we do these things. It's important that we do them because what it's saying is I consider my life to be of no importance at all to myself. It it can be important to you, but for me, nope, you're more important than I am.